You're listening to Today FM. I'm Sean Moncrief from News Talk. It's been one year since the war in Ukraine began. I spent a week in Kyiv, and for the next hour, I'll bring you some of those stories. It's hard to imagine sleeping underground on a metro station platform, but that's exactly what happened a year ago when 60,000 residents of Kyiv sought refuge in the subways. I spoke with Tatiana Serhiva, head of Klovska metro station. Almost a thousand people lived in her station for three days during a total curfew. And even today, people head to the subways when the air raid sirens go off. This interview was conducted in the subway station through a translator. I'm Tatiana Ferdorchenko. I'm director of uh, Klovska Metro Subway, uh, Municipal Kyiv Subway. Could you describe for us what it was like on uh, the first days of the invasion and when people came down into the metro for shelter? People were very scared uh, and uh, big amount of people, animals, kids, uh, very, I saw a uh, very big united between people. Everyone was support each other. Uh, big fear, everyone was scared and uh, we tried to support uh, if uh, people need some help, uh, they uh, asked us and team of uh, metro station uh, but uh, the fear was in air. And uh, people who work in the metro, were they living here as well to, to help support the people who had come here for shelter? All, uh, all employees uh, were uh, staying uh, at the station with people. Uh, we were living here. We, uh, from the beginning, uh, many of us uh, came with our families, sometimes with our animals, and were living here in on-duty uh, places, uh, constantly supporting, uh, giving support to our people. Um, of course, there was a problem, a big problem with. Uh, the whole team, uh, the whole amount of team. Why? Because it was difficult to get to your job uh, because of transportation and it was lack of uh, um, uh, team members of metro stations. Uh, it was lack of people uh, in a subway. Uh, but still we were like one family we very, very much support each other. We were like one family all together. And are, like, are we talking thousands of people who are down? Yes, around 700, 800 people, uh, they be here with us. How did you organize where to put everyone, where to sleep? Were they sleeping on the platforms where the trains are? Uh, people uh, stayed wherever they could find to uh, free space. Of course, it was a platform between trains. Trains were also standing, uh, and uh, we placed uh, disabled people, older people, and uh, uh, families with child in the trains because it was a little, little bit uh, com- more comfortable. Families from the left bank uh, were our subway. Uh, doesn't work like shelter because it's on the top of the city. They came and choose our subway, our metro station also like shelter because they don't have this possibility on their uh, part of uh, city. And uh, the, the most smallest uh, human who which we had, it's three months was. Are, are people now using the metro for anything else that maybe they, you know, used to use the metro for just because it's safer down here to, say, have meetings or things like that? 
Those people who were living here at the beginning, uh, they started to be uh, friends and family, and uh, they, uh, from time to time, they meet each other, or, or, or in city, or of course uh, arrange meeting here in subway, collecting, gathering, and uh, remember those times when uh, we all wa- were together here in Metro. You must be very proud of the people who work here then for doing all that. Yes, I'm very proud of my team. They very good people and they make their task 100%. As we remember one year of the war in Ukraine, next we will hear from a child psychologist about behaviour seen in children. You're listening to Today FM. One year of war on Ukraine. With News Talk's Moncrief. Today FM. I'm Sean Moncree from News Talk, and on Today FM we're remembering the anniversary of the war in Ukraine beginning. It's impacted so many lives, and at the centre of this are children. I was fortunate enough to travel to Ukraine just over a week ago to speak to the communities most impacted. Less than an hour outside the capital, the suburb of Borijanka was destroyed by Russian forces. I spoke with Yurchenko Alina, a psychologist in the Centre of Social and Psychological Rehabilitation in the war-ravaged city, and she told me how the children Children have been left traumatized. Yes, many, many children uh, uh, affected. They've been here uh, while it was occupation. They uh, face experience of evacuation. While evacuation going on, they saw uh, guns in front of them. They saw injured people. They saw death people and uh, of course this experience uh, couldn't just pass through Mm. them. And is it important for them to express what they experienced? Of course, it's very important to impress themselves. Uh, we're facing how uh, kids are afraid to be alone. They're afraid to uh, take a shower if uh, there, there is no one uh, with them. Uh, some of uh, kids, they're afraid to go even out of the building. Uh, how long does it take to, to bring a child to the point where they're not afraid anymore? It's all individual and depends from uh, kids. Uh, some uh, people, some kids need few days, some kids need uh, a few months of uh, long-term therapy. Uh, some kids uh, s- start to be stable and calm only in safe area when uh, uh, parents took them, for example, abroad and they know that it's calm territory, so only there they uh, received uh, stable, uh, like... uh, And can you ask how uh, she copes herself? Because, you know, uh, obviously she's been through the war, she's been through trauma, plus also she has to absorb all the trauma from all the people she's helping. Me personally, I passed occupation and uh, I uh, lost my house, uh, my uh, home. And helping others, 
uh, at the same time helping me myself. So uh, we're receiving also a lot of help uh, uh, from other peoples and even to be with my colleagues and uh, to have possibility to speak with my colleagues is also support the unity of our people support us. Uh, sometimes I can go to the nature, I can make some small presents to myself, it support me to be, to be, uh, to stay myself alone, to sit in a calm, it helps. And uh, when, when I was in occupation, I was uh, doing, every moment doing something. And it took my uh, my thoughts, my mind from uh, the reality what we are f what we are facing with. So uh, uh, doing something and helping other this is support to me. You're listening to Today FM, and in a few songs' time, a surprising story about what was left of the front gates of Kiev Zoo when the conflict began. War on Ukraine, one year on with News Talks Moncrief on Today FM. You're listening to Today FM, I'm Sean Moncrief. It's been one year since the total war on Ukraine began. I was in Kyiv just over 10 days ago to find out how people are coping with everyday life in a war zone. One of the things that doesn't automatically spring to mind is the impact on the animals. In Kyiv, the zoo is located very close to the city centre. I spoke with Carol Partin, director of Kyiv Zoo, about keeping the animals safe and alive during the invasion. Some animals showed signs of stress and anxiety. They struggled to keep the zoo warm during blackouts. In desperation, residents and private zoos left everything from turtles to alligators at their gates, hoping the staff would be able to take care of them. Oh, it's a uh, it's a hard question because only state uh, zoos uh, have actually big, quite, quite, at least quite big uh, percentage that uh, animals can stay alive. Uh, because uh, state zoos, uh, they have uh, money for salary and uh, for feeding animals. But uh, private zoos uh, doesn't have such resources and uh, after a few months, uh, they uh, faced uh, big problems. At the entrance of zoo, we received boxes with wild animals like, um, let's say, alligator, um, different wild animals. Then we received uh, carrots, uh, monkeys, uh, turtles, uh, different uh, um, birds because uh, they were uh, front line and the zoos was crashed uh, and destroyed. And even now we cannot count how many animals in uh, such a small uh, private zoos, uh, we cannot count the amount of animals. At the first uh, week we received raw deer, all, uh, and they were um, uh, with injuries, uh, with bad injuries, and we take care about them. How did you keep the animal? well, this guy here seems very happy out in the cold, but uh, the, the animals who don't like the cold, when there were power cuts, how did you keep them warm? 
Ну, взагалі, у нас є допомога наших європейських Today FM, sharing stories from Ukraine on the anniversary of the start of the war that continues today. Imagine your city is occupied by an invading army. Your father is diabetic and runs out of medicine. Russians are killing civilians trying to flee on the roads around you and your only chance of survival is through a forest. 
Topov Maxim Vladimirovich is a volunteer with the Territorial Defence Forces in the city of Urpin, faced exactly that as he put his father in a wheelbarrow and fled to safety, not knowing if they would make it. So my colleague, uh, he just uh, didn't understand that it's Russian checkpoint. Uh, and uh, he uh, basically going near and near and then uh, he understood that it's Russian checkpoint and uh, you know um, they, they they have this so-called ma- magazine he received uh, half of this magazine in uh, his car in his front window uh, they shoot and uh, but he stayed alive they take from him um, cigarettes and uh, thanks god he was in civilian so uh, of course they argue with them with him uh, and then just go him uh, be safe uh, but uh, other times they tried to avoid these checkpoints uh, and uh, try to go through bushes, uh, uh, through some uh, forests, uh, going uh, around these checkpoints, but not through them. Right, okay. Uh, and well, for most of the time you were making these journeys, was it to get supplies to people or maybe were you getting people out of Irpin and in, into safety? It was one road uh, through Stoyanka uh, out of Irpin, but I already knew that uh, it, it, it's going find fights there, so uh, we cannot go uh, normal way out of the city. Uh, my task was to evacuate uh, myself with uh, my dad, uh, who who has diabetes, and two cats, so I put two cats in one uh, box uh, I um, uh, I took a wheelbarrow and uh, put my uh, my father in it uh, with this box of two cats and uh, I choose very strange way how, how to work weight so I decided that the most uh, safe way will be um, near forest through field. Uh, I local guy, I knew all uh, ways here, so uh, all my life I know that uh, near forest uh, through field there is a road there, like like forest field road small. Uh, and I'm going with my father, my father uh, disabled, he cannot walk uh, on this uh, wheelchair. Mm, we are going and then suddenly I see that on the half of the road there is no this road anymore and uh, we uh, we passed this road more than three hours uh, and, um, and then uh, soldiers uh, meet us uh, and put us in car and evacuate us uh, to the Kiev uh, uh, yeah in Romanovka it's uh, near Irpin uh, after uh, after Irpin how I uh, how they know that uh, they need to meet me. There was no connection because Russians, um, uh, how to say, uh, 
crash connection and yeah. uh, we cannot contact uh, with anyone uh, in Kyiv, for example. But sometimes if you go uh, very high in Irpin, you could take some small amount of connection and just receive message and just send message and this is how I told uh, some uh, friend to meet me uh, in that Romanivka which is uh, near Irpin when I will be evacuated with my father Up next on Today FM we'll hear from the museum in Ukraine that hid over two and a half thousand artifacts when the war began One year of war on Ukraine with News Talk's Moncrief. Today FM. You're listening to Today FM. I'm Sean Moncrief from News Talk. It's been one year since the war on Ukraine began. I recently went there and uncovered some incredible stories like this one. Within days of the full-scale invasion, Mariana Varchuk, employee of the Department of Funds and Preservation of the Collection, the leading custodian of the Kenenko Museum, hid two and a half thousand artefacts to protect them from being destroyed or stolen. The building was hit by a missile in October 2022, but the structure remained intact. We spoke to her in the empty exhibition rooms about the way they've adapted to using the spaces for music and theatre. Can you tell us about the day when, when, when the missile struck and how much damage was done to this building? It was a lot of glass and uh, we were disappointed. But uh, we, uh, uh, we did all the necessary uh, works during first hours. So it was uh, a lot of people here. Our friendly fans, uh, our municipal uh, staff, uh, our museum team, friendly team. So we... Uh, we were doing uh, it very quickly, and uh, we just uh, uh, we just uh, vanishing all the glass from uh, our halls with historical uh, wood uh, with historical uh, wood uh, floor. So uh, during the first hours, uh, we. Uh, we closed uh, the broken windows uh, with uh, these uh, wooden panels and uh, on the other day uh, we warm these wooden panels with the other side uh, of the wooden panels uh, to conserve the building uh, to uh, make the temperature and humidity inside the building more stable so because uh, uh, a lot of our interiors are original, are authentical from the late 19th century. So, uh, and there are a lot of uh, uh, masterpieces are in situ still. As you can see, a lot of some ornaments, a lot of uh, some decorations are from late 19th century. Now we have a good team of uh, architects and their staff, uh, which are helping now and with all this all this stuff to reconstruct and to conserve the building so we uh, now we are making a lot of chemical technical uh, research of the building because a lot of uh, old cracks were open after the explosion so the building uh, very old and we need to, to provide special treatment for the building and for the future reconstruction of the building i hope it will be soon after our victory and the, the the collection that was here you've put it into hiding how big is that collection how many pieces are in it 
Uh, in our collection is more than 25,000. Uh, but uh, on the display, it was about one and a half uh, thousand. So before the war, before the 21st of February, it was about uh, one and a half thousand pieces of art here, which we need to, to preserve, to hide, to dismantle and to conserve. Right now, the, the, while you're planning on, on uh, reconstructing the building somewhat, uh, is it, are you using it for anything at all? Uh, your colleague was saying that there's occasional music events here, but are you doing those even now? Yes, uh, we are providing lectures, workshops, uh, musical concerts and uh, uh, other events which are connected with uh, our cultural heritage uh, of Ukraine uh, in general and um, connected events connected with art which uh, connects with our our collection art and preserving saving the culture now we are open to uh, to make events to help culture now maybe people uh, go there go to museum not only to listen to the music or to listen to the concert they was as well want to support us to give us all the uh, necessary money <laughs> that we need now. More than 8 million people have fled their homes since the war on Ukraine began. We hear from a mother of three next who is now staying in pop-up accommodation. You're listening to Today FM. War on Ukraine. One year on. With News Talks Moncrief on Today FM. It's estimated that 8 million Ukrainians have fled their homes from the worst affected provinces. Some towns and cities have been under constant shelling since last February, so many people head as far west as they can, away from the Russian border. These are called IDPs, internally displaced people, and invariably many of them end up in Kyiv. Behind a metro station is a UNICEF pop-up dome tent. It's bright and filled with toys and books. This is a spillno, a child-focused place where families who've left their homes can come to take a rest, play together and get professional advice around supports and therapy. UNICEF has many of these dotted in towns and villages all over Ukraine. When we went in, there was a few kids, aged about six or seven, playing with a ball, making jigsaws and having a bit of fun. Sitting at a table, we met Irina, a mother of three who met, who fled the Mikhailov region early last summer. She started by telling us about her journey. So we are internal displaced persons. We are from Mikolaev region. Uh, we used to live uh, really near uh, occupied by Russians place. So it was dangerous for children and we decided uh, to go to Kiev because um, we were tired from uh, constant shelling and uh, risky about our our kids of course. So that's why we came to Kiev. There is uh, air defense and uh, no uh, Russian staying uh, near so because of kids we we come. And were your children, when you were there, before you came to Kyiv, were your children very scared? Uh, so, uh, in Mikolaev region, uh, it was constantly shelling. It was artillery range. And we, uh, the sounds of war was always with us, all day. And uh, children used to eat. They were not surprising. 
they automatically lay down on the ground when they hear that uh, something uh, really big and dangerous when they were in Mykolaiv. So uh, they were not scary there. But when we come to Kiev and, for example, on New Year, their dad go to have a walk with kids. And uh, there was attack all, all, also even in the New Year, on, on the day of New Year. And when uh, at that moment my kids heard the sound of rockets, they scared. And uh, the smallest one of my sons, um, he, he, he sleeps with anxiety and with worry uh, because uh, they little bit far away now from uh, uh, like front line and here they uh, affected uh, by this even more in, in in silent place do your children ever ask you when can we go home again um, yes, uh, my kids are asking me, but we don't think that we will come back. Why? Because there is no job there anymore. Because uh, interpreters, uh, in entrepreneurs, they left city, and uh, there is a small amount of uh, not so much businesses in the city who are left, and uh, there is no uh, possibility to work and to earn money anymore because of war. That's why we, with husband, decided to to stay here in Kiev. It's also the reason why we are staying here, and we don't think we will be able to come back there. Uh, I all also have um, uh, my my 23-year-old daughter, so I have three kids. She also here in Kiev. I think we will stay here. Is it difficult to get accommodation? Is it hard to find a place to live in Kiev now? Um, uh, now I think yeah it's harder to find accommodation why because uh, the situation on uh, on the south for civil people become uh, harder because we liberated Kherson now they are constantly bombing and shelling uh, and putting rockets on Zaporizhia on Kherson so people run away from running away from war uh, to Kiev also and uh, Kiev full of IDPs now and it's much more harder to find now accommodation than it was for me in May because we come here in May it's the first one but the second uh, my uh, friend gave me possibility to live here in her flat why because she's refugee to Europe she go to Poland and I'm IDP, internally displaced person, so you can imagine my friend ran away from war uh, to Poland and give me possibility in Kiev to live in her uh, flat because at that moment Kiev was in dangerous also. Up next on Today FM, we'll hear from a grandmother left homeless by the war. War on Ukraine, one year on, on Today FM. Today FM, I'm Sean Moncrief from Newstalk. I recently travelled to Ukraine and spoke with people living in an ongoing war. One of them was Shozanka Vita, a grandmother in Irpin living in modular housing who's trying to bring some beauty back to the parks and gardens in her beloved homeland. So I'm local, I'm from Irpin. Uh, I had disabled uh, mother, so uh, I was evacuated uh, 
quite early, I would say, uh, on 26, uh, because invasion started on 24th. In two days, I've been evacuated because on the 26th, uh, they already damaged our Romanian bridge, which is very famous uh, bridge because uh, people was evacuating through it. Yeah, so we very quickly uh, on the second day, we I collect my my family and uh, evacuate because after Romanian bridge was damaged, there was no electricity, gas and light, there was no anything, there was no supply and there was no anything on it here in the European And where did they evacuate to at first? Uh, me, my disabled mom and my small son, we've been evacuated uh, at the second day. Uh, but my husband and uh, the other, my son, they entered the Territorial Defense Force, which was highly risky uh, at that moment. And her house that she was evacuated from, is it, it, has it been damaged, has it been destroyed, or is it okay? No, uh, it's all the street where our house was. Uh, there is no houses on old street. So what kind of accommodation uh, do people have here? So every family has uh, their own uh, room. Uh, in one room, uh, living the whole family, or if you are alone, uh, alone elderly woman, for example, uh, we have rooms where three elderly women live together because it's not enough uh, place to stay, where to stay. We have one general uh, shower for every family, a toilet separate for every family. Once per day, uh, we have uh, breakfast uh, all together. Uh, we receive receiving this help, but after that we uh, cooking for ourselves. Yeah, and for many of the people who lived here, presumably they may have had jobs in Kiev or in Irpin. Do they still have those jobs <coughs> or, or is it difficult to just get money? Um, yes, step by step, uh, we have uh, re- rebuilding and uh, business come backing and we start to work. Of course, uh, it's uh, highly not enough work here and for not all people has uh, now their work that they have before. But I am working in parks, uh, in gardens of Irpin and my, my husband also. So we're taking care about territory and uh, as you can imagine, we have uh, work here now. Mm, yes, I imagine so. Is it uh, difficult to keep her spirits up when you don't know what the future holds and that kind of thing? The most scary thing was uh, to look on uh, our private house. I had even not one, and we had, our family had two houses, and it was the most complicated thing to watch uh, our damaged, totally crushed two houses. And uh, five uh, people of my family, we didn't know what will be next with us. Yeah, 
but still I hope that um, we will some kind people will help us somehow we will be good I have granddaughter and uh, my granddaughter is reason for me to be motivated and to go on uh, could you tell her she's too young to have a granddaughter uh, <laughs> Thanks for joining us for these first-hand encounters of what it's like living through a modern war. We can only hope the conflict ends soon. War on Ukraine. One year on. On Today FM.